Welcome back to the Business of Biotech. I'm Matt Piller, and I sure don't need to tell you that biologics development, manufacturing, and production processes have been disrupted in a big way by the COVID pandemic. Supply snafus and setbacks and outsourcing obstacles have hampered development timelines and hindered therapeutic innovation and accessibility. It's an issue that Dr. Stephen Dorries arm wrestles with every day in his capacity as SVP of U.S. Manufacturing and site head at Selectus Therapeutics. Despite these challenges, if I were a betting man, I'd place my money in that match on Dr. Dorries. He brings some big league chops to Selectus. Over a 10-year span prior to his arrival there, he proved his medal at Biogen, uh, where he worked his way from associate director of Manufacturing Sciences to Senior Director of Manufacturing Sciences to Director of Manufacturing Sciences to SVP of Global Manufacturing Sciences. Prior to that, he spent nearly 16 years at Pfizer, serving as Director of Vaccine Development for some 13 of those years before taking over as Director of QA. Dr. Dorries earned his PhD in biochem from the University of Georgia before moving on to Washington State University for his postdoc. Dr. Dorries, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you very much, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. And my first question for you uh, is a very pressing one. You know, uh, as, as I outlined, it's a challenging time in the biopharma space. Um, and after like 24 years in big bio, uh, it appears as though you've made the decision to move to clinical stage selectus in July 2020 in the midst of a raging global pandemic that was disrupting everything in the business. So why on earth would you make that decision? That's a great question, Matt. <laughs> um, so the decision was a career type move and one to do something different in the types of companies I'd been in. It was a stage of life type decision. There were a lot of factors. COVID had an impact. Um, so I'll explain a little bit. I had spent my career going from big pharma, Wyeth and Pfizer, to mid-sized, well-established biopharma, um, Biogen. And I had spent all those years in both places working in the arenas of process development and manufacturing sciences, which involved developing processes and ushering them into manufacturing. And so I felt like I had spent my entire professional life in and around manufacturing, supporting manufacturing. And honestly, I was also approaching a point in my life when I was looking at a upcoming decade milestone birthday in the not too distant future and thinking about, I don't have a lot of career years left. I would really like to try a startup, a biotech startup. And so I seriously started thinking about that in my um, last couple of years at Biogen. One of the other reasons was I had been leading the manufacturing sciences global team there for the last three years of my team there and realized that I didn't really see a lot of other things I really wanted to do at Biogen. There's abundant opportunity, but I have specific things that I look for and realized I've been doing this for a long time. It's time to move aside and let somebody else come in and do that. And uh, the itch to go to a startup company um, was, was itching pretty hard. And I was had not been exposed to immuno-oncology, and I had not 
been exposed to CAR T cell therapy, um, cell therapy operations. So despite my background, that's given me exposure across the previous career to glycoconjugate vaccines, to monoclonal antibody production, to antisense oligonucleotides, to a smattering of gene therapy, to parenteral operations. I had the opportunity to support a lot of those things in my previous career, but I had never touched immuno-oncology products and I had never touched cell therapy. And a logical career progression for me was with all of my experience working in and around and supporting manufacturing, a, a site head type role. So Selectus actually checked off a lot of list items for me in a startup company, a new modality and therapeutic area that I had not been exposed to, the chance to be a site head, and the fun of starting up a brand new site. Um, so those are some of the things that lured me to Selectus. The pandemic had an impact because uh, Biogen had been on shutdown um, as soon as the pandemic started, and all of us who were not essential plant personnel were working from home. And I, I was excited to be able to find a company where I could actually come into an office in a startup environment and get back among people. So that was actually a draw for me too, and yeah. that's why I took the plunge and came to Selectus. Yeah, well, that's a—I mean—great reason. I, and I—I I certainly didn't mean to come off as, as too skeptical about the move. Just the the, the timing, you know. Did you? Uh, and, and you know, I—I I, I see that often. It's—it's uh, it's awesome to to want to take the experiences that you've gained at these amazing companies and apply them in a in a smaller, more nimble, more agile setting. I can certainly see the appeal there. And also to learn, you know, learn new, new, new therapies and new modalities. Um, but at the same time, when you made that move, did you, did you kind of come into it eyes wide open, like knowing that you might face some significant, uh, you know, manufacturing and supply disruptions? Oh, yeah. I was looking at it at the level of there, it's an uncertain world from a supply chain perspective right now. And it's also an uncertain world moving into a company with, frankly, much smaller resources than I'd had available to me previously. But to me, it was a fun challenge. And I thought that my background and expertise uh, could be a good fit in making select a successful company. But yeah, it has not been without challenges, both because of the size and the startup nature of the company. We're not a huge player when it comes to uh, navigating the global supply chain for materials and also the uh, pandemic situation on the global supply chains, as you've already referred to. Yeah. Now, I want to I want to focus the bulk of our conversation today on, uh, you know, manu manufacturing, um, uh, the, the manufacturing approach, manufacturing decisions you've made there and, and how supply relates to that. Uh, but before we get into the, the meat there, give us the quick take on uh, Selectus's approach to gene editing. Just sort of give us a, an idea of who you are and what you're producing. Sure. Selectus is, um, I'd say we're a pioneer in the gene editing field, leveraging expertise in gene editing and our clinical development team to transform the lives of patients with cancer and genetic diseases too. We've developed our CAR-T, UCART, Universal CAR-T Cell Therapy Program, and our more recent DOT-HEAL gene editing programs, which are both amenable to implementing our proprietary technologies. Um, Talon, we believe that to be the most precise, versatile, and effective gene editing tool that's currently out there. And so we're very excited about using that and bringing that, that to bear in both CAR-T cell therapy and the gene editing space. We're also a one-shop company now that we have um, completed our GMP manufacturing facility. So everything from innovation, R&D type work, all the way through to very, very experienced, competent 
process development, analytical development teams, a terrific medical team, clinical operations team, and now the capability within the tech ops organization, which includes process development and analytical development, the GMP manufacturing facility. So there's a one-stop shop seamless approach to an innovative new idea, making it through proof of concept studies in the laboratory, moving into the development arena and moving on into GMP manufacturing to make clinical trial materials. It's we can do it all end to end and the size of the company, that, that's where a small size is a benefit. We all know each other. We all work together well. We're split across the Atlantic between Paris and New York and Raleigh, but being such a small company and having a very collaborative culture enables us to be really nimble and be really fast in developing, troubleshooting, and implementing processes and methods. What did the uh, what did the manufacturing um, operation and capacity look like? I don't know, a, a little over a year year and a half ago when you joined. Oh, when I started, both the Paris GMP facility and the Raleigh GMP facility were essentially construction zones. I remember when I walked in the door for my interviews, the space that's now our beautiful office area, warehouse, clean manufacturing area was essentially a gutted building with trenches cut into the concrete floor. So a true construction zone. Um, That was when I was interviewing. When I came back, a lot of progress had been made in the project, building it out, putting in the clean room, the modular clean rooms, utilities, equipments installed, plant utilities installed up and running. And um, yeah, it was a remarkable progress from the time I was here interviewing until the time that I joined a little over a year ago and the progress that had been made. Um, Challenges abound in this area. And I mean, this geographical area in Raleigh in terms of there's a lot of activity in terms of gene and cell therapy companies coming. There's a lot of competition for the skilled trades that the construction management firms need, but we were able to uh, navigate that with our construction management partner and keep things pretty much on track in terms of the project schedule. In fact, we were able to um, start our first training run, which means actually taking cells, thawing them, doing the editing on them, putting them through the entire process and filling them into vials. We started that on schedule per the original schedule in May of this year. So I I actually thought that was a remarkable accomplishment that a scale of building construction commissioning validation project of this in the pandemic environment, in the competitive environment for skilled trades, we were able to bring that in on schedule. Well, it's amazing to you know complete a construction project on schedule in a perfect world. Uh, it's, it's it's even more amazing to do it in such an imperfect world. So, congratulations on that. That facility itself, eighty-two thousand square feet uh, in, in in Raleigh, um, in October that that opened up. Is that correct? Um, well, the, we, we were officially open when we were able to move into the area, start putting equipment in. So we were, we were open earlier in 22. The, um, that's how we were able to start our first um, training runs in May of this year. Um, the certificate of occupancy or the certificate of compliance for occupying the building um, had been granted back in September. But obviously, there's still a lot of work to go when you are granted occupancy for your building, your offices, your warehouse, your manufacturing area. That's when you can start moving the equipment in and putting the people in that have to do the commissioning validation of that equipment. So there were still many months to go to enable us to get the startup. But um, that did happen in May and has continued with different milestones throughout the year, moving into engineering runs and moving into GMP runs. So I want to ask you a, a 
a sort of foundational question uh, that may predate uh, your your presence at Selectus. Uh, so to the best that you can respond to it, um, you know, why, why why did the company decide to stick that shovel in the ground and uh, and, and 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 stand up this manufacturing capacity? Well, for both Paris and Raleigh, for France and U.S. manufacturing, the company had made the commitment a few years ago, I'd say probably three years ago, that they did want to take control of their destiny in terms of having control of schedules for GMP manufacturing. So took the plunge and did the um, made the momentous decision to put the capital investment in and put spades in the ground, as you put it, in both Paris and Raleigh to start building out these GMP manufacturing facilities. Um, it's kind of the Wild West in the gene therapy and cell therapy space in terms of a lot of startup companies, a lot of virtual companies, all competing for the same contract manufacturing space. And negotiations with contract manufacturers, which I've had a lot of experience with before I came to Selectus, even in the best relationships, they take time. And it is difficult to schedule manufacturing slots um, on the fly, essentially. So the timeline plannings for moving programs from development into GMP manufacturing and getting the clinical supplies out there to support the clinical ops team, that is something that necessarily takes a long time when you have to work with the CDMO. So Selectus took the plunge to build the manufacturing capacity internally so that that's all within our control. And we're not making stuff for other people. We are not a CDMO. We are making stuff for our own teams, for our clinical operations team. The siding of Raleigh, the first at the first level, the decision to side in the U.S. was because this is um, one of the main places in the world where immuno-oncology clinical trials are going on. Um, FDA has a lot of experience in these sorts of things. So the first level, the company made the decision that, yes, we want the drug substance, drug product manufacturing facility located in the U.S., Raleigh was a very good choice because a uh, site up in the Northeast was being looked at, as was Raleigh. Um, the access to the stable of solid universities and colleges right here in the RTP area was a draw. The presence of these other companies, double-edged sword, competition for talent, but that also means there's availability of talent. Um, Young people, young scientists, young engineers looking to further their career, they like to go try something different. So the recruiting is easier when you're in an area that has an established biotech industry going on. And frankly, some of the uh, construction costs, the uh, skilled trades are a little less expensive in this area than up in the Northeast. So those were all factors that came into the decision making. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you endeavor uh, to launch into a project of that magnitude. Um, there are plenty of reasons to do it. Uh, there are plenty of, you know, there, there's a lot of upshot. Um, what were some of the considerations that went into, uh, in, into the project and into this decision that were like, you know, like I, I think about my, my wife and I a few years ago, put an addition on our house. Right. And we had a list this long of reasons why we needed to put this addition in our, on our house. We didn't want to have the conversation around like, well, why might we not want to do this? What could go wrong? What's concerning you? How are you feeling about this? Right? Like, what's your gut? You know, is there a financial risk? What what, what are the implications beyond just, you know, meet, meeting our needs? Um, and maybe those, you know, maybe those influences in your organization weren't necessarily top of mind for you, uh, but I'm sure they were for some folks. So, so. Sure. 
What were those? What were those? Certainly, I'm sure that I'm sure they were. As you said, a lot of that predated me, but I'm privy to some of the conversations that happen. And it it is there's a risk calculus there. There's the time it takes to advance a product, get into your clinical trials, and take your shots on goal for having a successful product. So, part of the calculus is the clock is ticking, and if you're having to spend your time with delays of months because you're working with contract manufacturing organizations, when you're a startup company, that is one of your big biggest threats. There's always the cash runway threat to a startup company, but another threat is you simply don't have any, the company ends up not being able to do anything because it can't get clinical results in time. And so I think part of the risk calculus there was it is probably safer and better, even though it's risky to make these capital investments internally. So we are better in control of the timeline. So we can pivot quickly. If we see a result in the clinical trial that makes us want to version a product, we can do that easily and quickly. If something looks like it's giving results that aren't paying, panning out in the clinical trial, we can pivot to another program qu- quickly. None of those things are possible or they're possible only on a longer timeline if you're not in control of your own manufacturing. So yeah, a huge financial investment in terms of capital outlay, staffing, et cetera, in Paris and in Raleigh. But I believe the long-term calculus of the people that made the decision was that's the best shot that Selectus has for being a truly successful company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to throw a follow-up question at you uh, to, to something that I heard you say a few minutes ago. You, you, it, it felt like it felt like you made it a specific point to tell me that Selectus has built this manufacturing capacity to to serve its own pipeline, and I think you I think you said like you made a point to say we're not. We're not outsourcing any any of this manufacturing capacity. This is not. We're not a CDM operation. Did, did I hear that correctly? Correct. Yeah. So, so why? You know, it's it, and it, and the question is legit. I've had I've had conversations with you know, on this show recently with uh, you know execs who said like, yeah, we 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 had a we had a a, a mission, a goal that involved a pipeline that we were going to develop, and we did that, and we decided we we're going to stand up manufacturing capacity on our own. And then we thought, well, you know, maybe we can pay for our own drug development by out you know, running out some of our space and some of our intelligence and capacity. So why is it important that uh, Selectus not do that? Well, the the fact is, it's simply not on our radar right now. We are an innovative company. We are an innovative leader, and we're totally focused on our, on our own products and advancing them as quickly as possible. So honestly, there's simply no organizational bandwidth. There's no staffing. There's nothing that would lead us to be able to take on additional programs that we're doing on behalf of other people. They would frankly just be a distraction to the company at this point. We are totally focused on our innovative capabilities, which we have a lot of faith in. We have high hopes for these programs. We believe in our technologies. We believe in Talon. We believe in our ability to produce critical starting materials. So it's basically not on the radar because it's not really a question that's come up at this point because we are totally focused on standing up these facilities to make our own stuff. And they're not going to be fully operational capacity-wise until a future state months, if not a couple of years down the road, where we're fully staffed to do all of that. Um, We have uh, additional manufacturing capacity that's coming online now in Raleigh, a second production suite. There's future shell space for two more production suites and another filling suite. That's a future state though. And so we're, we're not even close to being at what the full capacity of the site could be at the moment. And we are totally focused on our own innovative products and not taking our eyes off that prize. Very good. Good. That's a good thorough response. 
The Business of Biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. I, I, I also, uh, and I'm guilty of this myself, I, I, I tend to, if I'm writing about, uh, you know, companies that choose to manufacture their therapies in-house, uh, if I'm talking about this with, with folks on the podcast, you know, I tend to, I don't know, just kind of generalize manufacturing as what's going on inside these four walls that we built, what the people that we hired to run these machines inside these four walls are doing almost like it's a self-contained decision. And that's folly. Like if I'm a, you know, we're, we're talking to a bunch of new and emerging biopharmas who may be considering doing what Selectus did and building internal manufacturing capacity. There are a whole bunch of factors outside those four walls and, and within those four walls, but kind of permeate those four walls uh, that maybe it's easy not to think of uh, in, in, in terms of the manufacturing um, the term manufacturing itself. So I'm going to throw some of these things at you and just get sure on them. Okay. Sure. Um, you know, and one of them we touched on a little bit, but I, I'd, I'd like some more depth on the stuff that's coming into the manufacturing facility to manufacture the goods, your, your upstream supply chains. You know, we're talking about things like consumables and, you know, and, and with, with some, with some therapeutics, APIs and excipients, uh, and, and then of course, single use technologies, bags and tubes and connectors and things that disposables, if you will, um, incredibly challenging time to procure these things and maintain adequate supply of them. And as I said, we, we often don't think of, you know, long, when we, when we think about standing up manufacturing facilities, we're not necessarily thinking long-term supply chain of consumables. Um, so how have you rationalized taking on that responsibility? Because if you outsource, right, if you outsource that, well, it's not our problem. Well, the tubes, the connectors, the bags, the, you know, the, 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 the consumables, CDMOs, take, we're paying them to take care of that. How do you rationalize accepting that responsibility? Sure. Again, it's all about taking control of your manufacturing timelines and being able to move things quickly. So it is better in Selectus's view to take that stuff on internally and drive it. To your point, it means it's more than what's just happening in the walls of the building or the walls of the manufacturing plant. There's a lot more to a manufacturing site than just the GMP manufacturing team and the QC team, which I view as sort of a, a different type of product being made. We make both product out of the manufacturing area and we make testing and release data from QC. So it's really two types of production areas, but all of those are supported by a host of other things like the supply chain organization. And we do have a supply chain organization that spans the Atlantic. We have a solid procurement team that supports us from the finance organization. And we're able to navigate some of those challenges that we face. Frankly, the pandemic did cause some hiccups across the industry, consumables in particular, things like that. Um, I recall we had a couple of weeks here in Raleigh when the QC lab had to stop doing some assay type work because there were no pipette tips available. But that's when you leverage your global supply team and uh, the people in Paris shake the trees in Europe and 
in a couple of weeks, we had some more pipette tips. Um, remarkably, we've been able to beg, borrow, steal, scramble, get supplies in the door, despite the challenges of the COVID pandemic. And so, yeah, there has to be a concerted effort between the purchasers, between the supply chain team, negotiations with vendors, close working relationships with vendors. Um, some of the stuff comes in just in time, sometimes too close to just in time for my comfort level. But nonetheless, we persevered and were able to leverage this transatlantic organization to pull that off. Has there been a uh, any any temptation to to um, stockpile to 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 stockpile in an era? Oh, not just a temptation. Of course, we've done that. And, you know, <laughs> so some of the critical any critical item that we've had a unexpected delay from the vendor. We thought it was going to be two months. It turned into four months. Um, we are proactively putting more of those on hand. So yes, that's that's a reality of the world situation right now. Sure. Yeah. How about analytical uh, and process development? How are you rationalizing, uh, you know, internalizing those that that capacity that perhaps in in some situations would be um, just doled out to the to the outsourcing? Well, that that's always been a core strength of Selecta. So the original tech ops org- organization, of course, did not have internal GMP manufacturing, but enabled to make the reality of our new products coming from innovation into a CDMO, which is where we went originally, like everyone did, is you still have to have a PD and AD team, um, people that are scientifically skilled and have the history in the company and have the background that the innovation R&D scientists have. So they're speaking the same language. They know the processes. Again, sort of analogous to internalizing GMP manufacturing rather than working with a CMO. The analogy is if you're working with a contract development organization, you've got some of the same pitfalls in terms of miscommunications, long timelines. Everything is just a little more difficult to do. So I think, again, something that very much predated me, I think there was probably no question ever in the Selectus executives team mind that PD and AD were a core asset that worked hand in hand with the innovation scientists because they had to have someone to develop the processes to go to the CMOs rather than let them do the development also. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, how about quality? You're, you're, a you know, you're, you're an old quality pro, uh, quality has been kind of in your, in your bailiwick for a long, long time. Um, is there any degree of, uh, additional responsibility that l- falls on select this as opposed to, uh, you know, w- what the quality situation would look like if you could kind of spread some of that responsibility around to an outsourcing partner? Sure. When you're running when you're running internal manufacturing like we have embarked upon, you have to have some additional QA organization. So we have the uh, we have the classic corporate QA group that handles working with CDMOs, um, external suppliers, that sort of thing. That was already in existence. But the decisions to internalize manufacturing and QC laboratories to support those means that some other wings of the quality organization had to be built out. So there's a head of internal GMP um, QA in Paris, and there's a side quality head here in Raleigh. Their focus is internal. They're part of the same executive level team that's the overall quality and regulatory organization. So they meet on a weekly basis. They all know each other very well. Um, Any issues that come up from one of the internal facilities in terms of suppliers, for example, it's kind of a seamless interaction between the internal quality site heads and their corporate quality counterpart in getting some resolution from the vendor and that sort of thing. So the organization had to expand. 
the quality organization had to expand to accommodate internal manufacturing and internal QC labs, but we adapted. And that's been a, that's been a significant part of the personnel growth and select us in addition to manufacturing supply chain, et cetera, is the quality organization. Okay. Uh, and, and obviously Selectus isn't producing, uh, you know, volumes of, of therapeutics on the scale of like a, a vaccine, for instance, but, um, certainly there are, are warehousing and logistics concerns. Uh, mm-hmm. w- what about that? I mean, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, when you outsource, you're, you're also paying rent for storage and paying, you know, a, a fee for some, uh, logistics execution, um, so how how is the company rationalized embracing those responsibilities? Again, it's staged. So the Raleigh site was designed to be not just a clinical manufacturing site, but the basis of design was to be the future commercial manufacturing site. So it's size to do that, including the, fir- the, the future build out in the shell area I referred to that gives us additional drug product production area, but the warehousing and storage, the cryogenic storage for the product is actually sized to handle commercial capacity. Um, we do handle logistics through third parties. So in terms of shipments to clinics and things like that, that is not yet internalized, but as Selectus is successful and grows and we start developing a commercial organization, that is something that we've already been discussing about when's the time to pull the trigger to bring in house logistics right now. It just makes no financial sense to do that. It's when we're running early phase clinical trials heading into Pivotal, hopefully in the not too distant future. We're simply at a scale of shipping and logistics that it doesn't make sense for us to have that internal. But uh, certainly as the future comes towards us, that's something that will be considered. But in terms of the storage of the drug product, we've got plenty of internal capacity for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then of course, there's the the great big one. Uh, it's not free or easy to appease regulators when you're building a manufacturing facility. Um, or what about that? Like, you know, you, you, again, embrace regulatory scrutiny. I tell people I cannot wait to show this facility off to regulators. Uh, again, things that predated me were the decisions that we were going to move to isolator technology for running our processes. So anything that is not a totally closed system in the manufacturing suite is being handled in a grade A isolator glove box type thing. Um, It's additional expense from a capital point of view. It's frankly a hassle for the operators to have to work in a glove box rather than working in an open BSC. But it's the best possible way for assuring that we're making a product that's ready to go into a patient's arms. Because when you're working with cell therapy products, obviously you're thawing cells, you're engineering cells, you're expanding cells, you're doing a final harvest purification, and you're filling cells. There's no opportunity for any sort of sterilization step. So we decided that the best thing to do for the patient was make the facility based on isolator technology for running processes. So we've got great big open windows into the manufacturing space. And I'm very confident this is going to be a facility that shows beautifully in an inspection. Um, I've been through a lot of inspections. The colleagues we have here at the site, it's a very young site, but there's a lot of years of experience in the biotech, gene therapy, cell therapy space here. We've got a lot of people that have interacted with the agencies and we're, uh, we're looking forward to a first inspection. That'll be a very nice problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, you, you know, you alluded to the fact that the, the goal is to own 
responsibility for, you know, meeting timelines and um, having control over, over the development manufacturing processes. Beyond, you know, the, beyond, I, I guess, beyond the obvious theoretic advantage of that or philosophical advantage of that, can you speak at all to what the, um, I guess, outcomes of, of that ownership and control will be in terms of, I don't know, in, 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 you know, speeding up timelines or, uh, you know, in, ensuring quality. I mean, it has, has, is there a bunch of measurement that goes into that or. Oh, you're, you, you're just answering the question for me. It's speed of timeline. It is, we are in control of quality. That's a great point that you touched on. Um, you never quite know what you get with the CDMO and you never quite know how handling quality issues in terms of investigations is going to go. Again, when you decide to internalize GMP manufacturing, you're in control of all that yourself. And the the overriding factor to me is the ability to achieve speed, the fastest possible speed in moving programs into GMP manufacturing and getting them through. We don't have to wait months for a manufacturing slot for something that we want to change or a new program that just came into development, we can schedule it right in um, because we're all one organization. So speed is the overriding thing for me. That's the, that's time is money. And that's a huge factor for us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You alluded to one of the advantages of having the the global footprint, Raleigh and and Paris uh, being that when you can't find, uh, you know, pipettes. Uh, maybe, maybe there are some in your Paris warehouse you can right. shoot across the pond. Um, but tell me beyond that, what's synergistic? What, what, what? Why did it make sense to 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 build in Raleigh, to to build in Paris, and to, what, what's the sort of the synergistic relationship between these two facilities? Yeah, the synergistic relationship is the uh, scope of work that the teams do. Paris is very much focused on the critical starting material. So the production of cell banks, plasma DNA, mRNAs, the viral vectors we need for both UCARTs and for the gene editing type programs. Um, that facility is well designed and has been successfully staffed to meet the needs for that sort of production. Um, I referred earlier to the decision to put the uh, drug substance drug product plant in Raleigh. That's kind of a different can of worms in terms of the number of people you need for a manufacturing site. And that's where having a thriving biotech ecosystem is important. So that's why select us for that part of the project, the GMP manufacturing for drug substance dr- drug product that needed to be sited somewhere on the East coast. West Coast would have been very inconvenient because the time zones differences, frankly, between Paris and the West Coast. So East Coast was sort of, that's where we're going. And then the availability of a community in the area, that's where the Northeast Corridor was being looked at and the Raleigh-Durham area was being looked at. There's already that base of companies here, that base of talent, and the uh, large number of universities and colleges available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of exciting things going on down there. And I think bio, you know, it's a, it's, it's long been a, a, a big tech and, and research area. I think bio is relatively, uh, I don't know if I want to say new, but the, the footprint there that you guys are putting down is, is, is sort of uh, the, the new and exciting thing, if I'm not mistaken. Now, the gene therapy and cell therapy community here is newer, but there's been a thriving biotech uh, 
presence here in the Triangle area with companies like Pfizer, with companies like Biogen, um, having been in place for a long time. So there's 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 been a substantial biotech presence in this area for you know I'd say two decades now. The gene therapy, cell therapy expansion that's been happening rapidly over just the last several months that's new. That's a very positive trend. It adds even more um, dynamic aspects to the high tech community here in this area. Yeah. Has that been a home for you for, for a long time? Um, it has been home for me since I completed my postdoc and got my first job at what became Pfizer. So I've been here in the area ever since. Very nice. Yeah. It's nice to, nice to grow where you're planted. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, what about, uh, give us an update on where Selectus is in terms of, uh, if you could give us some a, a glimpse into your your I guess clinical maturation and what any next big steps for the company might be. Um, at the level I can speak to it, we have the current three wholly owned clinical products that have been ongoing, and we are hopeful to advance to new candidates that are going into clinical trials. And we would hope to be filing INDs in the uh, not too distant future. I'm not going to give a time frame, but in fact, what Raleigh has done is we have produced the engineering run and are beginning GMP runs for the next phase process, the next iteration of one of our three current clinical products. And we've also done engineering runs for one of those newer assets that's coming in. So beginning early next year, we will be producing two of the new assets that'll be new clinical trials that would be starting for the company. So that's sort of the, that's the framework for where we are right now, depending on how the current existing three clinical trial candidates uh, perform, um, we are going to be set to be able to do um, phase two type supplies, next generation supplies of those out of Raleigh when needed next year. That's all clinical trial driven. Yeah. Any uh, on the manufacturing capacity side or the the the, the facility itself? Uh, anything that needs to happen there to support that clinical progress that you just mentioned? Any, any- we've we've got plenty of capacity for the time being. The two existing uh, manufacturing suites have uh, uh, many many batches of capacity between them when we're fully staffed and up and running. Um, so there's I don't have any concerns right now over our capacity level. Um, I actually have concerns over not using my capacity that I have right now because that's how operations folks always look at the world. Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to fill the plan up. It'll be a little while before we're there, but for the time being, there's no concern about capacity. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, it's exciting stuff. And I appreciate the fact that you've allowed me to, to pepper you with these questions. And, and again, I don't mean to come off as, as skeptical. I think it's awesome. When I, when I, when I hear about, uh, you know, selling gene companies in particular, it seems like that's where a lot of the internal capacity activities happening right now. Um, I, I think it's great. Um, I think it's an awesome sign of progress. Uh, I give you, I give you credit, um, for, for overseeing that work. What haven't I asked you, Dr. Dorries, uh, that you think is kind of germane or central to the story that I should have asked you if I were a better interviewer? <laughs> I think you've asked terrific questions and you've drawn a lot out of me. I think I just wrap it up by saying we are very excited about the future of Selectus as a leader in cell therapy and gene therapy. We've got confidence in our pipeline and we are thrilled that we now have this end-to-end soup to nuts, innovation through to producing clinical product capacity within our walls. And we're going to take advantage of that fully to um, help patients. Very good. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation and I hope we get to do it again sometime real soon. 
likewise, I've enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Thank you. So that's Selectus's SVP of U.S. Manufacturing, Dr. Steve Dorries. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which demonstrates its commitment to new and emerging biopharma companies every day at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Give that site some time. Check us out at bioprocessonline.com where you, I, I'd love it if you'd subscribe to my newsletter. If you like this podcast and, uh, and, and conversations with guys like Dr. Dorries, please subscribe wherever you look, listen to podcasts. Uh, give us five stars and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.